Today's sponsor is EveryPlate. Initially, I thought meal kits had to be expensive, that they were kind of a splurge. But as it turns out, EveryPlate is more affordable than groceries. Their quality ingredients come pre-portioned to help you save money and reduce food waste, you know, like the bag of spinach that I throw out every single week. You can skip the store and let every plate plan, shop, and deliver everything you need to cook a delicious meal at a consistently low price. For me, in the summer, I'd rather be out enjoying the sunshine than cooking. Every plate helps me do just that. Simple, stress-free recipes come together in just six steps and are ready in about 30 minutes or less. You can choose between 17 recipes that change every week and swap proteins and sides to your liking, so you can switch up dinner routines however you want. Every plate helps me experience more of my favorite things in life by saving me time and money, which means more money towards vacations, concerts, the list goes on. You can choose from classic plate, veggie plate, family plate, and easy plate preferences to serve up crowd-pleasing meals night after night. Try every plate for just $1.79 per meal by going to everyplate.com and entering the code SELFIE179. Again, that's $1.79 per meal at everyplate.com with the code SELFIE179. Today's episode is sponsored by Somavetic. Somavetic is a device that combines an Eastern approach to health and wellness with modern day technology. If you have a lot of devices in your home, as most of us do, then there are hundreds of signals floating through the air at any given moment. This is called EMF, and some people are really sensitive to it and believe that it can cause some not great things in the body as a result of all of these free radicals bouncing around. If you're concerned with the unwanted influences of electromagnetic radiation or geopathic zones, you'll appreciate Somavetic. Somavetic devices rely on frequency therapies and the healing powers of precious and semi-precious stones and metals to create a natural energy field to harmonize your home. It does this through the controlled release of energy from precious and semi-precious stones. It creates a 360-degree field with a radius of 100 feet in all directions. The founder of Somavetic launched these devices in 2011 as a response to his own ongoing health struggles. After years of no success with Western medicine, he turned to traditional Chinese medicine and found a variety of healing properties with stones and minerals. After some time, he was able to heal his body and has helped others as well, and his experience inspired him to create Somavetic. If you're interested in mitigating EMFs and creating a harmonic field in your environment, these devices are a great solution, and they are beautiful. Each device is comprised of their own semi-precious stones with unique properties. Somavetic is a small company, and all products are handmade and hand-assembled in their Crystal Valley, in the Crystal Valley of the Czech Republic. If you want to try Somavetic, they have a 60-day money-back guarantee to let you try. Visit somavetic.com and use the code SELFIE for 10% off. That's S-O-M-A-V-E-D-I-C.com with the code SELFIE for 10% off. Hey, everyone. I'm Kristen Howerton, a writer and a psychotherapist. And I'm Rue Powell, an admitted workaholic and self-care Luddite. And you are listening to Selfie, a weekly podcast about women learning to take better care of themselves. We think self-care is important, but it can simultaneously be elusive. We don't lack information about it, but we don't always quite get there. So this podcast is dedicated to exploring different aspects of self-care, from the silly to the serious. We're looking at health, relationships, beauty, periods, and maybe a touch of the random. We also want to look at the hurdles we face that keep us from caring for ourselves like we should. To submit questions to me or Rue, or to Claire, our beauty expert, or BJ, our resident therapist, join us in our private forum by searching Selfie Podcast Community on Facebook. Hey guys, well in today's show we're going to be chatting with therapist Lisa Damore about raising preteens and teens. 
and how to promote empathy and self-esteem in the midst of living in this pandemic and what this is doing to an already stressed out generation. Lisa is the author of two books that I really love about parenting, Under Pressure and Untangled. And then BJ is talking about self-love, and she's having us ask ourselves, what is the story I brought into adulthood about my worthiness, and where did it come from? Really good stuff. So um, we're excited about this episode. Well, hey, Rue, how's it going? Good. How are you doing? How is your self-care? Um, it's going. It's going. I think, mm-hmm. you know, I am, I, I've talked about this sort of ups and downs of pandemic life before, and how sometimes I feel like I've hit a groove. And then sometimes I feel like I am very discombobulated. And I'm in a groove right now. Like I'm, you know, I'm buckled down, I found a new normal, which may change any day. Um, But I'm, 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 I'm doing okay. Um, I will say that a part of that is that I have really, really cut back on working. Um, Which well, that's great. You've been you were yeah. slammed with a book. I was slammed with the book, totally slammed. Um, and you know, I'm an Enneagram three. I'm a person who really likes to work. I have never been just a stay at home mom. I mean, even when my kids were small, I was always either I was a therapist or I was teaching at a university or then I was blogging and writing. I've never just not done anything and I'm not doing nothing, but I've really had to scale back because you know, with the kids at home, with the schooling that they need, you know, the supervision they need with schooling, doing right. distance learning, um, I was just finding that I just needed to be more present. And then I am also finding that I'm just, I'm really struggling with mental fatigue and like getting my brain in gear. So I've pulled back a lot, which I also acknowledge is a huge privilege that I'm able to do so. I'm able to do so because I wrote a book and the way that my advanced payouts work, um, they were sort of shifted towards the end of the book. And so I'm kind of living off of that for a while, um, which I know is a huge privilege. But yeah, Mm -hmm. I've really, really... um, taken a lot of work off my plate right now because I feel like for my own sanity and for the household, it's weird. It's like I feel like I'm needed more right now than I was even when they were like babies. Yes, I I agree. And I don't even know why that is. Is it because like my kids no longer go to sleep at seven? I, is that I'm not entirely sure. Well, yeah, when they were babies, they would at least take naps. And like, I, you know, they didn't it was like back then it was it was a physical, you know, it was like you were changing diapers and chasing them and making a lot of food. But I feel like they need me for the emotional stuff right now, you know, Definitely. And, and for the support and just to help them get through their school day or to, you know, I don't know, it's it's weird. Um, and I was just finding when I was trying to really work in the middle of all of this going on, I was getting really cranky. And then that would result in when someone needed me, my response was resentment. And and I was like, I mean, I wasn't hiding that, you know, I, I feel like my posture when a kid called out for some help was like, Ugh. and it's like, yeah, they don't deserve that right now. Like they're, you know, life is hard. And like, I want to be present and not like, doing a deep sigh every time someone needs me because I'm in the middle of something. So right. 
I I just want to point out too. So you mentioned that you're really, you're very privileged to be living off your um, book income right now. But, and I feel like that's a a phrase that we always want to say in recognition of like how, how rough people have it in the world right now. But I also want to point out that your success with this book is due to over a decade of very hard work very hard work and tons of writing and a lot of different experiences. So it's not like you've... Yes. I mean, yes. And and, and I feel like women tend to do this more too, where it's like, oh, it was just a little bit of luck. and But very much it had to do with a lot of your hard work. So I uh, just want to take a moment to, you know, honor that as well, that it wasn't just, hmm, Kristen, here's a pile of money. Have fun, you know? No, you're right. And I will say, I will say this too. Um, when the pandemic first started, so March, April, May, June, my book launched in June. And March, April, May, and June, I was putting in 12-hour days. Like, yes, not you even absolutely joking. were. I was waking up, sitting at my computer and working until midnight. And so, um, yes, uh, right now I am reaping the benefit of having overworked <laughs> for several Mm. months at the beginning of the pandemic. Like when everyone was baking bread, I was like (laughs) not sleeping and working more than I ever had in my entire life. Yeah. Um, And to be clear, that's not an endorsement of that. You're like, don't try this at home. It was an idea. Yeah. Yeah. But but that is why I can take some time off now is because I was busting my ass for a few months. Mm. How's your self-care going? Well, we've done a slow start with homeschooling, which I feel good about, um, as opposed to like diving right in with a color-coded schedule, just like a little bit, uh, just to kind of get our feet wet and get used to it. And I think that's been really good for us. But one thing that I did that I'm really excited about is um, there's there's this guy in town that gave me a great deal on one of those inflatable – it's an inflatable side-by-side slip and slide. Oh and, yes, and it's a water it's a water slide and like a blow um, it's up huge. One? Yes. yes, and it's huge. It's like thirty five feet long, and uh, you're talking about being present. And one day, I just took the entire morning, like I don't know, six hours to do nothing but race my kids down that slip and slide. Oh my gosh! And we were putting like Dawn dishwashing liquid on it. Oh, and that's, just, yeah, that's hardcore. Yeah, and like I definitely, I probably got like at least a little concussed, and my ne- <laughs> like I'm I'm still I'm still sore. Do you have rug burn or like was, grass burn on your yeah, knees? Oh, just so much road rash because even though it's like inflatable, you get like a little bit of dirt on it, or oh, there's yeah. Velcro. Yeah, yeah. And so I I look like I spent a sum like I spent a week at summer camp. You know, so fun. Um, but. It was like a moment that in the midst of all of this, and again, like privilege that I was able to rent it, but like it was just time that I was really present with my kids. Yeah. And we like sang songs and just did really absurd stuff and, you know, did obstacle courses and made TikToks, like private TikToks of us like just zooming down this slip and slide. And it was so much fun. And it just kind of reminds like you said, I like. I might be showing some annoyance, but they're dealing like kids are dealing with hard stuff too right now. And so it felt like a really good way for me to just kind of connect with them and enjoy the sunshine. And we were out there and just like eating like watermelon and, you know, like (laughs) like grilling hot dogs and then we immediately just jump on the slide again. I love it. It was we totally needed it too, just because like 
our usual stuff. Like we can't go to a water park. We can't go to a playground. We can't right. go to a museum. We can't do any of that. Um, so to just have a, a, a day of us just zooming um, and like all of my, like we all have sunburn and road rash just like cut up like across our stomachs, you know, from when you're sliding down the slide. So fun. But it was great. So much fun. Yeah. So actually I feel like even just talking about that memory just made me feel really good all over again. So Love that it. I feel like it was worth worth its weight. Oh, totally worth it. Totally worth it. Um, how about your two thumbs up for the week? Well, because we're talking about kids and teens in this episode, I am giving two thumbs up that my teens enjoy. Um, so the first is, so, well, I hope this is not too personal to share, but I will just say that everyone in my house is now menstruating. Oh. <laughs> yes. Oh. Everyone. Yeah. So that happened. Um, so, and a little early. And there's a yeah, lot of yeah. there's a lot of moods around that. <laughs> I'm just gonna say. Um, so Highlands, I don't know if you know the Highlands brand. I had always used them um, for they had like a colic homeopathic. Yeah, blend when when the, when the kids like were for babies, little, right? R- yeah. Right. So that's how I knew this brand. Well, anyway, they have a new homeopathic blend for young adults, um, and it is all about like irritability, upset stomach. It's it's their it's called young adult serene homeopathic blend and so and it's very similar to the colic tabs you know where they kind of melt um, under your mm. tongue um so we have been using those and I think that they have been helping just with you know is it like daily or when you need it like it's as, as needed. needed it's as needed yeah. and so I have I have my girls tracking their tracking their cycles on the flow app which I highly recommend. Mm-hmm. Um, for anyone, but it's been really helpful to help them, you know, stay on top of like, what are my cycles and, you know, because they're not normal at first. Um, no. And so when I notice like, okay, we're coming up towards, then I will say like, hey, you know, let's, and we call it the PMS pills. So, <laughs> um, you know, do you want a PMS pill? Um, and I feel like it just, it kind of helps. And then do another, you... go ahead. Oh, sorry. Let me ask you a question. Um, did they first get their periods around the same age that you did? Um, yes and no, because they got them pretty close together and they're two and a half years apart. So oh, India, wow. yeah, which is interesting. Here, here's what's interesting. My, I got my period when I was 12. My younger mm-hmm. sister got her period the same year and she's two years younger than me. And the same thing happened with my girls. Wow, that's fascinating. So I think there is something to maybe like, I don't know, you know how they say like you sync your cycles or what have sure. you. You know, we have a lot of menstruating people in the house <laughs> because yeah. my, my boyfriend and his girls, you know, they live in the back house and they're in and out. And so I don't know if like just by osmosis, my youngest got hers early, but hers came really early. Well, uh, I, here's another like interesting just an interesting tidbit is that um, I have helped friends, uh, you know, give birth where mm-hmm. I am not certified as a doula, although I thought about it. Um, and I would go and just kind of like birth coach and mm-hmm. just help. And there's maybe, I don't know, I've probably done it like half a dozen times. Each time I do it and I help and like watch a friend give birth, I, I this is totally TMI, but you know, whatever, uh, I bleed the next day. Oh, yeah, I could see that. 
And so I that that tracks for me. My like none of my girls have their periods yet, but my eldest is definitely close because she's you know going through puberty, and she will have these moments where she's just like, I'm really upset yeah. and I don't know why, yep. and my breasts hurt, and I've just been crying, and I'm like, yes. yeah. Yeah, that mm-hmm. tracks, you know. Yep. Um, so I'll I'll look into these for her too. Yeah, yeah. I think they're I think they're good, and you know they're all homeopathic and natural, which is nice. So it doesn't you know it doesn't feel like I have to be like super careful about how much or how often sure. or anything like that. Um, and then okay, we found a face wash that my both my girls are really liking. It's from this company called Formula Ten Zero Six, and it is definitely like kind of marketed towards teens. It's really like cute font, you know, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, but there, it's called One Deep Attraction De- Detoxifying Face Wash, and it has charcoal in it and willow bark. Um, and it's just really, I actually really like it too. But it just, it's, it feels like it, it feels like it's like the modern natural version of that old, what was that peach scrub that we all used? St. Oh, Ives. Oh, the St. Ives. Yes. Yeah. It feels like the modern teen version of that. And it's really nice. And it's not too oh, expensive. Cool. Yeah, it's like, I think it's like 13 bucks. Yeah, well, I feel like, uh, like, for what, like, my kids are all dealing with this, the puberty skin issues. Oh, yeah. So that that would be, that would be great for them. Yeah, this is a good one. Um, Okay, so mine for the week, and one is uh, very, I guess they're both kind of kid-related. So one is a bamboo book stand, and um, it's like, it's one of those, it's kind of like those cookbook stands, you know, that like are are pretty upright. And so it's good for that if, um, you know, you like to cook with a cookbook. But I have been using it for homeschooling, so... um, I find that like with three kids around the dining table, there's just always papers everywhere. Yes. And so to have my book, whether it's like the teacher book or just like the schedule for the day kind of propped up and I can reference it while I am helping them and like going back and forth between my, you know, like just checking it on them and like my computer. It's been really nice because it has like the little, it like holds the book open and I can, it's just one of those nice things that you don't think about that you need, like yes. that you don't think that you need until you have it. And you're like, oh, this is actually like a little bit life changing. So It's like your podium. Yes, it's like my little teacher podium. Yeah, I love that. Yes, so that's been so that's been cool. And the other thing is, and I feel like this has been since the beginning of the pandemic, like I needed to get a hold of how much snacking was happening in the house. Oh, because yeah. Because nobody would eat a meal until dinner time. Yeah. And then even then, yep. unsure, because everyone's just snacking around Same. the clock. Same here. So I needed to implement some snack management. Oh, yeah. So uh, inspired by you, I got a bunch of bins for my pantry. And they can snack, like, right around 10 and right around 3. And I'm yeah. not too militant about it because I, like, also want to them to, like, listen to their bodies. And I keep the these um, – they're called That's It Fruit Bars, and they're only made up of, like, just essentially dried fruit. There's nothing else in it, huh, and it's a nice way those. for them to get – Yeah, they have, them at, they have them at Starbucks for, like, super expensive, but they also come in mini, like, mini form, which mm-hmm. I like having a basket of them in the closet, in the pantry, so they can have right. that and, like, a handful of nuts or that and something else. Um, and it comes in, like, apple and mango or apple and blueberry. And so just like with those snap meals that I mentioned um, mm-hmm. a couple weeks ago, it's like they're having a fruit. Yes. <laughs> they're having something that's not bad. 
And um, it's also portable. So if we want to go for uh, a little hike or a drive, um, we just take those with us. I really, I really like those. Those are kind of a game changer for us simply because it's hard to find prepackaged food that isn't horrific for them. Yes, it's so true. Yeah. And yeah, I, I don't know if I've talked about this on the show before, but like I actually started doling out snacks for the day. Like they have to write their name and day on their snacks because I got so tired of my children. Like their lunch would be five packages of crackers. Right. Like five. Right. And I'm like, these are not cheap. Yes. Or just like, I'm like, you can't, like beef jerky is not a meal. What is this? What, what's happening? How did we even get this? Yeah. yeah. So I, yeah, I finally like rationed them out because I'm like, we're home all day. Like, you know, it's different from when they're at school. I'm like, you cannot just eat like, yeah, packages of goldfish the entire day. <laughs> yes. So I, that's, that's been, that's been nice is to having, having like a little, a little basket or like a little bucket. I also had to ration seltzer because they were just oh. plowing through seltzer cans. Like, oh, yeah. So now they only get they only get one a day. And I can't even have that stuff in the house. My kids, I mean, they would just they would mainline it. I don't. That's yeah. that's like special occasion. You're you're a fancy mom to have seltzer every no. day. <laughs> well, it's it's the it's the Costco version. So yeah. because I don't believe that Costco seltzer, like Costco seltzer, is like. 25 cents less a can than LaCroix and yeah. I don't think LaCroix tastes that tastes that much better so no. they can have they can have a can but when we just had it like the first day that you get a case from Costco and people treat it like you know it's almost like when you first get shampoo or toothpaste for the first time you're yeah. just super generous yes. and I would just like I'm like what are all these half empty seltzer cans doing around my house mm-hmm. right now so mm-hmm. we're ra- we're ration snacks we ration seltzers that's yeah that's that's where we're at homeschooling life Yep, here we are, Pandemic Life 2020. So when I was a teen learning to shave my legs, my mom did not do me any favors by buying me really cheap disposable razors. If you grew up in as a teen in the 90s, you know the ones, and they left nicks and cuts all over me when I was trying to shave. So With two girls learning how to shave their legs right now, I am committed to making sure that they have good quality razors. Guys, I was probably well into my 30s before I realized the difference a quality razor makes. Today's sponsor is Athena Club. They have great razor kits that we have been using in our house for a couple months. The razor blades are awesome. They are surrounded by this water-activated serum that has shea butter and hyaluronic acid, so you get a silky smooth shave that actually leaves your skin soft and hydrated as opposed to stripped dry. And their blades are spaced out to let hair and shave cream pass through easily so you don't have to make a ton of passes going over and over the skin to remove the hair. Fewer passes means less irritation to your skin, which cuts down on razor burn and ingrown hairs. The razor kit is only $9 with free shipping and it comes with two blades cartridges, a cute little magnetic hook for your shower storage, and your choice of a handle color. I personally chose the coral. But what I really like about it is they have a ton of different colors, black, white, pastel, neon. So if you have a big family like mine, everyone can have the razor in their own color so you don't get them confused. What I also love about Athena Club, you guys know I love automating things. You never have to worry about dull blades because they send refills on your schedule. You just choose how often you want them and they will send them automatically with free shipping. I would also highly recommend their cloud shave foam too. It's insanely thick and stays on while you shave so you don't have to reapply. It leaves your skin feeling very moisturized. It's 
really, really good. If you want to try a great quality razor that cuts down on the wastefulness of disposable razors, try Athena Club Razor Kit. You can get 20% off your first order at athenaclub.com with the promo code SELFIE. That's A-T-H-E-N-A-C-L-U-B.com with the promo code SELFIE for 20% off. We've talked a lot about skincare on the show and specifically tretinoin. If you're not familiar, it's a retinoid, which is an active vitamin A derivative that's used to improve the texture, tone, and appearance of the skin. Today's sponsor, Dear Brightly, has a product called Night Shift, and tretinoin is the active ingredient in Night Shift. This is the only FDA-approved retinoid for treating photoaging, which is premature skin aging due to long-term sun exposure. Tretinoin stimulates collagen production to prevent and treat signs of premature skin aging from years of sun damage, things like fine lines and wrinkles, dark spots, uneven skin tone, and big pores. Tretinoin can only be acquired through a prescription, but it's 20 times more potent than the -the over-the-counter retinol products. It's one of the most well-researched ingredients with over 50 years of research behind it for both acne and photoaging. I had a chance to try Night Shift, and I'm really liking it. I have the unfortunate experience of having both breakouts and wrinkles at the same time, and it's great for both. I have seen my fine lines decreasing. I've seen my skin tone looking better, and it feels really nice. If you've used an over-the-counter retinol before, you know it's really great, but a dermatology-grade retinoid is even better. Night Shift is their dermatologist-formulated serum that's tailored to your skin by doctors online. Dear Brightly works by you first of all starting by sharing your skin story with them, then a doctor evaluates your skin and your skin history. They then tailor your formula and write a prescription, if applicable, and your tailored serum will be delivered to you in the mail. It's super simple and easy. Head to www.dearbrightly.com and enter the promo code SELFIE to get 15% off your first order, which is their very best offer anywhere. That's S-E-L-F-I-E to get 15% off your first order at dearbrightly.com. I'm excited to be talking with Dr. Lisa Damore today. She's the author of the book Untangled and also Under Pressure. I actually first heard of Lisa from my friend Claire, who is our resident beauty expert here on Selfie. Um, Claire is a good friend and neighbor. We are both raising daughters. And one day she walked a book over to my house and said, you have to read this. And it was Lisa's book, Untangled. You have to read this. So um, I'm thrilled to talk with you about that book and your new book, Untangled. You know, one of the things that I really appreciated about um, your most recent book is that you talk a bit about how to have empathy for our kids when they're having big feelings without getting entangled into the details and perhaps um, some of the overblown feelings that they might have about a situation. It's true. And, you know, it's interesting. Um in my, in general, I will defend teenagers to the hilt. I think people are not fair to teenagers. Yeah. I will always be like, no, 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 they're way better than anybody gives them credit for. Yeah. But there are some uniquely adolescent maneuvers. Yes. And one of them is rather than telling you a feeling, telling you about it by making you have it. You know, mm. the communicating the feeling by inspiring the feeling. Mm. So rather than coming home and being like, I feel helpless. Yeah. What they do is they engage adults in a way that makes us feel helpless. That's so true. It's and so, so then true. we're like, I'm sure your teachers are fine or whatever. And, uh-huh. and that's, that's what I was getting at. Like, we're missing the point. So when you yes. say, oh, 
you feel despairing, you feel frustrated, mm-hmm. you feel like you don't know how to fix this. Mm-hmm. That's actually the um, the kind of ninja move yes. that gets you empathizing with yeah. the actual feeling, even uh-huh. though the teenager doesn't necessarily have it in them, at least in that moment, to show up and say those words of like, yes. I feel helpless in the face of all this frustration. They yes. just make you so frustrated. They just make parents frustrated. Oh, it's so so that's, the, that's the piece um, therapeutically in yeah. terms of how I understand the theory behind it. Yeah. Okay. Well, this ties into the, the section I'm going to read, which is that difficulty in when our, when our kids bring us those feelings and have us experience those feelings of not getting enmeshed in those feelings, <laughs> <laughs> which is, you know, yeah, it's a challenge for me. <laughs> um, my biggest challenge at this stage is learning to differentiate from my kids as they weather the storms of their own lives. It's been said that having a child means having your heart walk around outside of your body. And I feel that keenly. It is a genuine struggle for me to resist feeling every single feeling that my kids are experiencing. Their hurts, their triumphs, their struggles, their heartbreaks. And I'm not saying this in a humble brag, look at what a sensitive and in-tune mother I am way. I'm saying that if I'm not careful, I have an unhealthy enmeshment with my kids' feelings and moods. Case in point, one of my kids had a heartbreak this week, and I've cried about it five times. Five. No one broke up with me, but I'm crying because that makes sense. I feel like my experiences of motherhood taught me to let go of trying to control my own outcomes. But just as I learned to do that, I found that my heart holds the outcomes of my children's lives in a death grip. And I think this is my next big lesson. Using that roller coaster metaphor, my friend Jen Hatmaker talks about how in raising older kids, we've got to stay on the platform. We cannot ride every roller coaster with them. We need to stay right there, calm and anchored on the platform and be a stable force for when they get off. That is my entire goal for the next eight years. So stay on the mother effing platform until they leave home. (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. What it reminds me of is that saying, like, you're only as happy as your least happy child. I know. Isn't it so true? It is so true. And yet, it's interesting because I've got two daughters Mm -hmm. and, you know, they're one's 16, one's nine. So we got a lot of feelings around here. And, um... And I have a couple kind of takes on, on, on what you read. You know, so one is um, one of the first pieces I actually was the very first piece I wrote for the New York Times was about being a therapist and a parent. Yeah. Um, and what I wrote about is when I was, you know, just short of delivering my first daughter. So I was, you know, hugely pregnant. I was with a senior uh-huh. colleague of mine and she was great. And I won't, I will use... Um, I will modify the swear word she used, but she was like, <laughs> so do you want to hear how psychologists mess up their kids? But she yeah. didn't say mess up their yes. kids. And I was like, <laughs> yes, I do want to hear that because some of the most hamstrung kids I care for in my practice are the parents of at least one therapist and at worst two therapists. Oh right? like, so, yeah. so I was like, what's the story? And she said, they talked to them about their feelings way too much. And that to me made instant sense. And Fortunately, in this, I was not raised by somebody who talked about feelings way too much. Uh-huh. You know, I, ve- I came very much from, a, you know, like in clinical terminology, like strong on the like ego management side, like get yes. yourself together, pull yourself yes. together. So I was like, oh, okay, so I have that repertoire and I can uh-huh. just fall back on that repertoire. And so um, what she really, you know, helped me think through is that way in which, especially as a parent who's got a clinical 
background. Mm -hmm. If your kid's upset, you can be like, oh, you're having a big mad feeling. Do you want to talk about your big mad feeling? Or like, I see, Mm -hmm. I see how deeply upset you are. We can go there. And what they often need is, okay, now pull yourself together. (laughs) You got to do your homework. You know, like you can do this. And so I think there's that side of it, of both being empathic and especially as a clinician, you know, mm-hmm. we're, we've got these muscles around really, you know, getting into the feelings mm-hmm. and talking about the feelings and being curious about the feelings. Um, but actually minimizing that at home mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. in the name of ego functioning, which yeah. we use in a different way than everybody else uses ego. We use it to mean like, um, you know, self-management. Yes. Uh, containment. Yeah. Containment. Yeah. 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 So that's one take on it. That is so funny. That's, yeah, I I think that I have fallen prey to that of like, let's just, oh, you're having a feeling. Let's stop everything for the feelings. As opposed to like, let's let's buckle up. Let's buckle up. I mean, it's interesting because when I think about the kids I've cared for whose parents are clinicians, often like they get to me and I'm like, you don't need more of what I've got. Yeah. Right. Like you understand your feelings inside and out. You are actually stopping everything uh, to have a feeling. Yes, I'm like, you yes. need military school. <laughs> like, you, know, <laughs> you, need, you need a place where they don't care about your feelings at all. They need you to function. And so, so it, it's, it's sort of striking that balance. And I'll tell you a funny story. I hope you don't mind. Like, this is kind of turning into a potty mouth um, conversation. Oh, it's uh, fine. Pot, not potty mouth, but like, you know, not totally G rated. Um, <laughs> so I, um, I had been visiting with a colleague um, and we got talking about dream cars and he's, um, he, this guy's like six, five, so he's a really tall guy. And he, um, he was saying his dream car was a Fiat mini. Mm-hmm. And he finally like got all his kids out of the house and he went to the dealership and he chose his Fiat mini. And then he has asked his wife to come like see the car. And she said, he, she looked at the car and she looked at him and she goes, you're a grown ass man. <laughs> <laughs> and he said, so I couldn't get the mini, so I had like this SUV I hate. And I thought this was so funny. So I come home and I tell my daughters this story, you know, and they crack up at it. And then about maybe six weeks later, I had to drive somewhere where I'm not familiar with where I was going. And I have a horrible sense of direction and I get really anxious about getting lost because I always get lost. And it's um, it's this Metro Health Hospital system in Cleveland and it's in this like the windiest area you oh, could yeah. possibly try to go to. And I was giving grounds grand down there and I was like, oh, I got to go down to Metro today. I don't want to go down to Metro. Like this is when I wish I had a driver or maybe I'll take an Uber. Like I can't, I just, I don't want to get lost. And my nine-year-old goes, mom, you are a grown ass woman. <laughs> like, get yourself down to Metro. And so, this has become our code for like, okay, you've been upset long enough. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And and so we use this with each other. And what works also is that it's funny. Yes. and it's sort of this yeah. agreed upon code. Yeah. And so I've been thinking so much around the like balance of let's talk about your sadness and these big feelings that are kind of weighing you down. And you're a grown ass woman. Yeah. Now you need to do your homework. Yes. And it yes. works. It really works. <laughs> we ha- It's so funny because we used to have a philosophy. Um, my ex is also a therapist, so my kids are, yeah, <laughs> blessed by that. But we used to have a philosophy that was called 
um, between the two of us, we called it, I'm sorry you feel that way, get your ass in the car. Yes, and so yes. that was, we. I will provide you empathy. Like, I'm very sorry that, you, you, and it applies to anything, but I think the, the, the initiator was a kid didn't want to sit in a car seat. So it's like, yes, I'm sorry. I can acknowledge your feelings. And now you're going to sit in the car and buckle yep. your seatbelt up. <laughs> so. I love that. No, that's, that's beautiful. And I think like that's exactly it. I'm sorry you feel that way. Get your ass in the car. And, yeah. like, and that, that's really um, the mix we're going for. Yeah. It is. It, it has to be. I mean, we want to give empathy to our kids. Um, and that's important. And, you know, I, I'm curious to hear this from you, too. One of the things that I talked about in my book was this idea of of empathy and, like, the way that I think I have a concern that some parents are so keen on empathy and building self-esteem that they've also, they've almost given them their kids like a false sense of entitlement about that self-esteem. Does that make sense? So then the, the empathy starts to lack because the parents are just like, no, you're amazing. I mean, if Susie thought that you did something wrong, she's stupid. Or if your teacher thinks that this paper wasn't an A paper, then they don't even know how amazing you are. Like, have you seen that happening? Because I feel like I'm seeing this sort of like, we've we've gone so full tilt on self-esteem that we've raised kids who like think the world revolves around them. I think that can be a real hazard. Um, so with regard to self-esteem, I, I had this extraordinary supervisor in my training who became a dear colleague and um, and I always think of him when the topic of self-esteem comes up because he was he was my supervisor when I had a case on um, I was it was I was at the adult clinic and I had a woman I was caring for who um, was an alcoholic and was getting fired a lot and was cheating on her lover mm-hmm. um, and her self-esteem was low yeah and he was like it should be. <laughs> And he yeah. said, he said, because, and this is the piece I've always held on to. He's like, people only feel good about themselves for the things they do well. Mm-hmm. That's the only source of self-esteem. And that, mm-hmm. like, that has really, for me, held up for 25 years, you know, in yeah. terms of, like, how to understand self-esteem. So when we think about self-esteem, part of it is, like, get your ass in the car, right? Yeah. That part of where self-esteem comes from is being a good kid and being a good sibling and working hard at school or helping out your neighbors, right? Like there's Mm -hmm. no one can hand you self-esteem. You earn it Mm -hmm. with your behavior Mm -hmm. and no one can take it from you either. Cause that's the thing. If someone can give it to you, that means they can take it away. That's really dangerous. Okay. So that's the self-esteem piece. Um, And what I think the dangerous message in the, well, then she doesn't know how wonderful you are or that teacher doesn't know how smart you are. Mm -hmm. I think what kids hear is, I'm fragile mm-hmm. and you have to bend reality yes. to protect me from it Yeah, because I can't handle the fact that maybe mm-hmm. that kid doesn't like me right. or maybe I haven't done the good work at school. Right. And so intuitively, I mean, it's not like I'm a perfect mom. Like I'm really not a perfect oh, mom yeah. at all, but it's interesting because I, 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 I remember these moments where I'm like, well, I think that was the right move. Um, but one of my kiddos, I don't remember which one, was complaining about um, classmates, which they do. I mean, this is like yeah. a totally like universal thing that kids do. And I finally said, well, you're probably not their cup of tea either. Yeah. <laughs> I remember whoever I said that to was a little bit surprised yeah. that I said that. And I'm like, I think that was a good move because yeah. – you don't yeah. like everybody, and not everybody likes you. Totally. Now what are you going to do? Yeah. And, and I think that's 
but that also presumes I don't think you're so fragile yeah. that you can't hear me say this. Yeah, or that you can't look at yourself. Because I think, I think that's so important for every human being to be able to look at themselves, like to take a realistic appraisal of both strengths and weaknesses, you know? Yep. And when we can't kind of reflect that mirror back on our kids and go like, oh, it sounds like you guys had a big fight, but like, do you think maybe you had a part in it? Or, you know... Do you think it was the best move when when you started getting elevated or, you know, whatever it is for us to be able to, yeah, assume that they're not too fragile to look at their own part in things is yep. a big one, feels yep. like. And it's funny clinically because sometimes, you know, I have a teenager who's ranting about mm-hmm. something. And even in their rant, I can see like, oh, dude, you, you kind of set this one up, right? Yeah. Like whatever you're upset about. And so I've started... I don't know when I started doing this, but I started saying to kids, you know, I have some thoughts and I'm not going to treat you like you're fragile. I'm going to give them to you straight. Mm -hmm. And, and it does two things at once. One is it helps them get ready (laughs) because I'm going to say something that's a little, a little bit on the nose. Yeah. But the other is, I think it's actually me um, saying something like, I respect you. Yeah. And I respect that you can. You've come to therapy because uh-huh. you want things to be different. And mm-hmm. the way we get there is you can, yeah. you don't have to be comfortable here all the time. Yeah. If you're comfortable here all the time, I'm not getting what, you know, I'm not doing what you came for. So true. Yeah, yeah. so true. Yeah. Okay, talk to me about your newest book because, you know, this one really looks at a lot of the pressures that are on yep. girls specifically. Um, talk to me about what you see as kind of some of the bigger pressures that are fracturing girls right now sure so um let me actually contextualize it against untangled which is the book from 2016 so untangled is a straight up look at normal development it is just this is adolescence and my chapter titles work pretty well in terms of um explaining what you know like the what's inside so for untangled the chapter titles are the seven tasks that I think all teenagers need to accomplish. Mm -hmm. And even though it's tipped towards girls, I hear all the time from parents like, ah, 80% applied to my son. You know, which I'm not surprised. I completely agree. Yeah. So the chapter titles are, um, and these are the tasks. These are the tasks of adolescence. Mm -hmm. So parting with childhood, joining Mm -hmm. a new tribe, harnessing emotions, contending with adult authority, planning for the future, entering the romantic world and caring for themselves. So it's mm-hmm. basically just a, like you do these yeah. things and you got to grow up on your hands. Yeah. And then it's sort of all of the um, texture of how these things unfold, all the weird stuff thing, all the weird things kids do that's actually in the name of these mm-hmm. achievements. So that's untangled. It's just mm-hmm. like normal, expectable development. Yeah. And then under pressure, which came out three years later, the subtitle is confronting the epidemic of stress and anxiety and yes. So yeah. I'm sure you hear what I hear, which is the word stress and anxiety, even before the pandemic, were oh, uh, out of control. All the time. All the yeah. time. And I mean, so I my like, own daughters deal with both of those. Yeah. So I was like, okay, well, we got to figure yeah. this piece out. And, I do, and we also see the data for girls that mm-hmm. they are disproportionately reporting mm-hmm. these symptoms. Boys mm-hmm. report other symptoms, but in terms of stress and in terms of anxiety, girls mm-hmm. are um, – ahead of boys, ahead, I guess is the way to put mm-hmm. it, outpace boys. Um, and so what I did with that book is I tried to think through, like, let's take this and slice it into its component parts. So um, chapter one is just coming to terms with stress and anxiety. And it's mm-hmm. just about what we know clinically, how these operate, you know, defining healthy versus unhealthy versions. You know, it's just kind of the groundwork of like, yeah. this is 
This is the reality of stress and anxiety. And then chapter two is girls at home. Chapter three is girls among girls. Chapter four is girls among boys. Chapter five is girls at school. And then chapter six is girls in the culture. So I just tried to take every Mm -hmm. layer of a girl's life and then um, look at the stresses and anxieties that come up in the context of that layer. Yeah. Um, And that, that let me... That gave me a structure yeah. to take this big, messy thing of kids are stressed and girls are stressed yeah. and to try to sort of um, find a way to think my way through it that mm-hmm. was systematic. Yeah, which I love. I, I love the systematic <laughs> um, approach because I feel like it, it it does feel so overwhelming to look at, you know, girls and anxiety and to just kind of break it down and go like, okay, here's how we can address it in this sphere. And here's how we can address it in this sphere. Um, I'm curious to hear your thoughts on how you feel like the pandemic has either contributed to or pulled back on some of this stress and anxiety for girls. Fascinating. Yeah, it's totally fascinating. I mean, I hate it Mm -hmm. from a, you know, what it's done to everyone's lives standpoint. And as a clinician, I'm sure you'd say, like, phenomenologically, like, it's extraordinary to watch this unfold. Yeah. And unfold meaning I, I've been presenting a lot. I mean, my presentation changes every 10 days. Right. I, it is so right. We're rapidly just, moving. Yeah. We don't know how all of this is going to shake out for no. us psychologically. And we, and we don't have an end date. No, we you don't. Know, so that I think, which is a yeah. big part of why it's so stressful is this. Yeah. I mean, if somebody said to you, we're doing this till December 15th, you'd be like, all right, strap in, I we know. can make it. I know. I think we don't even have that. So, I mean, which I is stressful don't. in and of itself. That ambiguity Hugely. is very stressful. Hugely. Yeah. Um, so, mostly it has completely amplified everybody's stress. Mm-hmm. And, you know, in terms of, psycho, you know, like psychopathology, in terms of concerns, mm-hmm. like everything's accelerated. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The only places where I've seen it um, cut kids a little slack mm-hmm. um, was at the end of the school year. And, you know, they, they run, 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 and they're so busy. And then they've got, you know, they've got kids with three APs. And mm-hmm. so there was a little grace at the end of the year for some kids where they were like, yeah. this is so bad. <laughs> you yeah. know? Like I'm getting more sleep. Yeah. So that was like the little bright spot. Um, I think that may be really the only bright spot. I mean, mm-hmm. my, my sense of this as it's, you know, here we are today, you know, this is going to be a different story in a month. My sense is, um, kids are really worn thin by it and adults are really worn thin yeah. by it. Yeah. And to the degree that under totally normal conditions, being a teenager is stressful and you need grownups around you who have some bandwidth and some mm-hmm. energy for getting oh you through gosh. it. Now we are not under normal conditions no. and the grownups are not in great worn shape. Worn thin, yeah. Worn thin. And I... I, I'm reluctant to say what I'm going to say next because I'm so much on the side of reassuring. I am like waking up in cold sweats at 3 a.m. about what the fall is going to look like. Me too. Because we will be three months further or five, two yeah. months further worn down, right? I mean, yeah. it's not like, no, I mean, I think. Worn down and the numbers are going up everywhere. So it's everywhere. like, it's, yep. it, it's going to be all of the fatigue and and climbing numbers to what it even yep. is now. It's and then we're going to try to yeah. throw school back on top of that. I know. For a bunch of kids who never felt like they got a summer. No. Um, because they didn't do what they thought they were going to do this summer. Mm-hmm. And then we're going to have super worn out t- teachers and super mm-hmm. worn out parents. Yeah. And, um, and it's going to be really awkward at school 
even yeah. if they get to go to school. I mean, yeah. that, I, you know, the ideal is that they are physically in the building. That's going to be better than not being in the building, but it's not going to be easy. Uh-uh. Um, so I spend all my time thinking about late August. Me too. I do too. I honestly do. I have, I have sat and gone through every like available option in my mind because there's a part of me that's like, should I pull my kids out and do a virtual school because I'm concerned that they're going to go and then come back and then go and come back. And, you know, and I'm also, I'm really concerned about the new social dynamics for teens of going back to school in the midst of a pandemic where there's all of these rules and you're going to have some kids who follow the rules and you're going to have some kids who think it's dumb. And then you're going to have some kids just like we're seeing with adults who are flexing on the rules, who are saying, this is all stupid. You're, you know, and you, I mean, just imagine teen boys, like you're a dumbass if you wear a mask. Like I'm already seeing that happening and they're not even back in school. So I'm worried about what this new social experiment of, you know, asking teenagers who don't want to follow rules in general and who generally also think that they're invincible to then go and comply with all of these restrictions. Uh, it feels really messy. It feels really messy. Um, so here are the kinds of things I think about, right? So that, you know, just this doesn't become a, a great, a great despair, you know, um, right. like, a great pit of despair. Cause I, I, I don't, I don't live there. You don't live there and you're on the helping side. So, yeah. So here are the things I think about. Um, I really, 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 really insert 50 more reallys hope that parents and teachers ease up on content. Yes. And I'll tell you why, because I think yeah. it's easy, first of all, to think, I mean, what I call it is like to use a manic defense, right? So like, mm-hmm. and you saw this early on, yeah. in the people are like, I'm going to get the best shape of my life and I'm going to oh, learn yeah. languages and I'm going to read all of Proust, right? I mean, like, and you're like, Absolutely. settle down. It's a coping mechanism, yep. uh, like I'm going to do so I don't have to yep. feel. Yeah. Exactly. So what I'm worried is we're going to yeah. see Manic Defense, the sequel for the yes. fall. Yes. And it's like, well, give them more work, give them more work. Okay. So mm-hmm. I think not only do I hope the work levels drop yeah, or the nature of how kids spend their time shifts from mm-hmm. traditional schooling to other, some combination of school plus other stuff. Um, I'm worried actually that there's going to be pressure to, yeah, to ratchet it up. To ratchet up. Um, and what I think we have to say, and it's hard for us to say, is this is a global crisis. Mm-hmm. The goal is to get kids through this psychologically intact. Yes. They are going to need more contact, yeah. more connection, more yeah. support around how psychologically stressed they are. Mm-hmm. Loading them up with extra worksheets <sighs> totally. is only going to piss them off. <laughs> yeah. And also make them feel like the grown-ups don't get it, yeah. which is actually going to push us away from connection and away mm-hmm. from them feeling calm. And guess who doesn't learn when they don't feel connected and calm? Anybody. Nobody. Nobody. <laughs> Nobody. <laughs> so so I. that's one place I think, like, okay, yeah. so how, how could this go better? Yeah. What if schools and parents look at this developmentally mm-hmm. and appreciate this does not have to be the year where they learn the most? Right. This is probably not even going to be a year where they learn what they were going to learn anyway. Right. That has to be acceptable in the name of mental health. I totally agree. I totally agree with you. I mean, I think, um, you know, and it's even true for myself. I mean, I've had to kind of lower my workload and I am not 
producing at, you know, yeah. 100%. Yeah. And it's like, we've got to give the kids the same grace. Like we really do. I had this thought this morning. I was like, I feel like I'm running to stay in place. Yeah, it does feel like that. Um, and so, and I think everyone feels that way. Yeah. And then I think if we say to kids, um, last year we did a half marathon. This coming year we're doing a marathon. Mm -hmm. I think they're just going to mm -hmm. want to have nothing to do with grownups, which um, in my book, I wish I'd written this up somewhere already. I don't know that I'll, I don't know that it warrants like a whole column or anything, but like, when I think about like kids and safety and healthy development, I'm like totally correlated with the number or the degree of positive connections to adults. Oh, yeah. You know, that if, if kids are doing well, teenagers yeah. are doing well, they've got positive connections with adults, may or may not be their parents. You know, right. it's nice if it is. Right. And when kids are struggling or not doing well or not safe, is yeah. that they don't have positive connections to adults. Yes. And so like that's got to be the focus. I completely agree. And I mean, I and I said this, I actually ended up writing an extra chapter for my book about parenting in a pandemic. But I said, like, I'm going to choose a positive connection with my child over a positive feeling from a teacher or a school admin. Like, Absolutely. and if that means I'm writing emails, and if I'm stepping in and setting boundaries and saying, we're not going to finish these five worksheets tonight, because we're having, you know, yeah a mental health day or whatever, like I do feel like we as parents need to protect our kids from that. And if, you know, and, and if that means we're the bad guy at school, then we're the bad guy at school because it's just so much more important that our kid remains healthy and intact. Like in the middle of a pandemic, we don't need a meltdown over school. No, it's not worth it. No. And, and what, what I think we're going to find so when we look, you know, we've got all this research over decades of um, kids under chronic stress conditions mm -hmm. and what helps mm -hmm. them get through. And because uh -huh. we don't have a pandemic literature because like psychology was a baby field in the last pandemic. So we don't right. have that. But we do have like a chronic yeah. stress literature. Yeah. And and one of the things that um, we see, and it's the two, it's like this interesting, it takes us right back to where we were about like, I'm sorry, you're upset, get your ass in the car. Yeah. Um, is that of the various things that help kids under chronic stress conditions, one is having a good close connection with a grown-up, right? Mm -hmm. So what we're talking about, like you saying, you know what, screw the worksheet, like I'll call mm -hmm. the teacher, like you're not doing that. Um, the other is doing things they feel meaningful as a grounds for self-esteem, right? So yeah. back to that. So um, there will be lots of days where their schoolwork mm -hmm. is what they feel good about. Yeah, It's also what distracts them from yeah. everything else going on and distractions are going to be really important. They are important for all of us right now. Mm -hmm. And so I think... Um, What's hard to think about at scale, easier to think about in individual homes, is always sort of like finding the happy balance between I'm going to push you to mm -hmm. do what you're supposed to do because you'll feel better and you also need to not be thinking about your feelings right now. Mm -hmm. And, oh, the feelings are winning the day. Yeah. <laughs> you, know, yes. you don't have to do those things. We're going to put you back together yeah. so you can go back to the meaningful work you were doing before. Yes. And to really um, help you know, those of us in the clinical roles help families realize like that's going to be the teeter-totter yeah. that they uh -huh. are going to be on flow. for the duration of this pandemic. Yeah. And there's no, here's what's going to work or here's the program for the next three months. Mm -hmm. It is going to be very moment to moment, day to day. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, that's, that's the, the best truth. way we're going to get through it. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I will say one thing we have done as a family that I think has been helpful is that as we looked at class choice for next year, mm -hmm. we put off some of the harder classes. Right. Like, so my 
you know, my son who's 15 needs to take a certain amount of math courses to graduate from high school, we're not going to take one next year. Not this year. Nope. nope. Makes tons this of sense. Won't Makes be the tons year of for sense. It. I don't care Absolutely. if you're a senior in a sophomore math class Doesn't in matter. two years. Like, you know, we're just not going to, like, we've just kind of front loaded with electives, things that make them feel you know, productive and successful. Like, let's do the successful classes this year and Absolutely. hold off on the hard stuff for now, if possible. Absolutely. You know, and a, a way to think about that is, you know, we, so we have this like really robust body of stress research. And, mm -hmm. this is, and this has actually been, even before I was writing under pressure, like this was stuff I spent a lot of time looking at and writing about. And, and one of the things we know is that stress is cumulative, Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. so, you know, so that means a couple of things. Like, so we can't say, well, how stressful is COVID-19? Well, it depends on how stressed you were before COVID-19, yeah. right? Because yeah. it's all going to add up. And yeah. so then this, what you're doing and what you're talking about, right? And you know this is you're like, okay, well, the stress for COVID-19 already has them here. Why would I add the most stressful yeah. program on top of that? Yep. When the COVID-19 yep. stress goes away, then the other stresses can be yeah. raised again. But we're yeah. not going to double down on this. No, I mean, it's like that old cliche of what, doesn't kill you makes you stronger. Like I think as clinicians, we actually know what doesn't kill you might actually give you a raging anxiety disorder and make you less able to <laughs> yep. weather the next storm. Yep. Yep. Like, so like, or it's only true to a point. Yeah. <laughs> you can get past the point where it's yeah. just really bad for you. Yeah. yeah it might, it might leave you fractured and yes. unable to cope. Yeah. So let's, let's not find out. Let's not yes. find out. Let's, 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 let's make our best guess at what's a fair and reasonable level of demand to put on you yes. and getting through the pandemic may be it. Yes, yeah. that is the truth. Yeah. Let's lower our expectations and lower the bar. Yes. Yes. Well, thank you so much for chatting with me. I would just really encourage any parents of teens to check out your books, Untangled and Under Pressure. They've been so helpful to my life. And I think that they are so relevant to what we're going through today, talking about stress and anxiety. So I really appreciate it. Where can people find you online? So the best place to find everything I do is at drlisademore.com. So D-R-L-I-S-A-D-A-M-O-U-R.com. And that's got my books and it's got the columns I write for the New York Times and it's got um, all sorts of stuff there. So that's awesome. the best place. Okay. Yeah. And we will link that up and um, put links to your books as well. Hi guys, I'm BJ, an emotional wellness coach. In my private practice, we address trauma, attachment wounds, and the roles they play in how we show up in our lives today. I've found my self-care as a profound impact on my mental well-being, so I'm here to invite you into the journey of emotional self-care. One of our listeners asked if we could talk about getting to know and love ourselves, stating this is a constant battle for her. Marley, you're not alone. This is something that many people struggle with, and it's actually one of my favorite things to address with my clients. You will often hear me say this because I can't say it often enough. Everyone has attachment wounds from childhood. Everyone. And from those wounds, all of us develop skills for survival of our childhood. Those skills serve us well as children, and they even serve us well as adults until they don't. And what I've learned through the experience of my practice is people reach a stage in life where those coping mechanisms stop working and start hindering. At that point, they either double down on whatever numbing agent they're using, or they end up calling someone like me and asking for help. 
Many of you may have recognized these were not healthy habits, but they weren't really causing a problem to such a degree that you felt you needed to change them. But now, this pandemic is pushing everyone's limits. This might be your moment of realization that what you've been doing isn't giving you the life you want. You may not be blowing your life up, but you're not living the life you long for, the one that you know in your deepest knowing that you deserve. Or you may be so disconnected from yourself that you don't even believe you deserve a life that feeds your soul. But that is exactly the kind of life we were designed to live, a life we can show up for no matter what it presents to us, a life we can be resilient in and grow through. But if you too feel like you're in a constant battle to find yourself worthy of a life like that and you're looking for ways to do life differently, let's talk about steps you can take to make that happen. The most effective way to approach this is to try to pinpoint when and why you stopped loving yourself. I'm about to say something that might sound a little shocking. But children, by very nature of survival, are kind of narcissistic. We're dependent on other people to feed us, clothe us, house us, and we're pretty entitled about it. If we need something, we cry about it because we don't have words to say what we need. We act out as toddlers because we don't know how to tell people what's wrong. It looks a lot like a narcissist who just doesn't have a frontal lobe. Also, it's built into us to know that we are worthy of love and loving ourselves. But from there, we begin to question it based on the experiences we have around getting the needs met that we innately expect our primary caregivers to meet. I won't get into all the ways this doesn't happen in childhood, but if we can identify when we first remember not loving ourselves, this often can bring forth memories of how we came to not love ourselves. Ask yourself, what is the story I've brought into adulthood about my worthiness and where did it come from? If you spend some time exploring these two questions, you'll likely come up with a number of experiences that may have contributed. Begin to ask yourself if the story is actually true about you. Most likely it was never true. It came from someone else's criticism or assessment of you. Or maybe it was true for a moment in time and has never been true again. Being able to separate the story from your truth is where we can begin to see ourselves differently. As you begin to explore this, I want you to find a picture of yourself as a child. Let me just say a couple of things here. Before you start this, take a few minutes to relax, bring your breath into your body, get as grounded as possible in your adultness. Call in a time when you felt most adult. An example would be you were presenting at work, you felt confident in your presentation, you got great engagement from your colleagues. Now try to recall your posture in that moment. Then stand up and take that posture on. If you're a mom, we moms are most grounded when we're protecting our little ones. So think of a time when you had to stand up for your child and what that felt like. If you're not a mom, it's okay. All humans, male and female, have a maternal part of us, and we need to call on that part for this exercise. When you feel the most connected to the adult part of you, proceed. And as you proceed, it's really important to know. We don't need to vilify our parents to recognize they made errors in parenting us. They did the best they could, and their best might not have been sufficient in certain ways to secure your attachment and set you up to love yourself well. And that's what this exercise is about. So now, look at that little girl as though she is your daughter. Allow yourself to take in what it would have been like if you had had the opportunity to parent her. How would you have loved her differently than she she was loved. Ask her what she wanted out of life. How did life disappoint her? What would she have asked for if she'd had a fairy godmother? Listen to her responses as though she's the person on earth you admire the most. Validate her feelings. Don't be dismissive. That's not your adult self talking if you do. 
You will likely get triggered in this exercise and begin to feel small. You are her at that point. Be her. Ask yourself in that moment, how old am I? Close your eyes and feel it in your body and answer the question. Remember what it was like to be that age and then see if you can recall something that happened at that age that might have been significant in interrupting your ability to see yourself as you are. Take as much time as you can with this. Sit with it for as long as she needs you to. You want her to feel calm and loved by the time you complete the exercise. Once you're done, you might consider writing about this experience or sharing it with a friend or a loved one. And if you're really courageous and it feels safe to you, I would so love to invite you to share it with us in our selfie community group on Facebook. See you soon. Hey, thank you for joining us. Continue the self-care conversation with us on Instagram at at selfiepodcast and in the selfie podcast community group on Facebook. You can also visit our website to check out the resources we've talked about in each episode at selfiepodcast.com. Make sure to subscribe to Selfie on iTunes so you can catch up with us next week. Take care.